Hey everyone, welcome to the Tension Podcast. We're a show where we acknowledge that most of life and faith is lived in the tension between the two extremes. On this show, we're going to look at what many of us were taught growing up in evangelical churches, weigh it against what our current culture is saying, and try to find what Jesus has for us in the tension between the two. If we haven't met, my name is Jonathan Perron, and we're joined as always by our co-host, Mr. Eric Williams. Eric, go ahead and say hey to the people. Hey, what is up, people? I'm really excited. I think I'm excited about every topic that we brought up this this uh, season so far. It's why we rebranded. Uh, yeah, and it's maybe the topic, it's maybe the format, but like, man, it just gets me fired up to soapbox on why different extremes are stupid. Can we call this show that? Why the extremes different, are stupid with different Eric and Jonathan. Different extremes are stupid. Yeah, right, right. The extremes are stupid podcast with Eric and Jonathan. <laughs> Special guests, Jerry Falwell Jr., Matt Chandler, Billy Graham, Mark Driscoll, Billy Graham. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the evangelical and Baptist churches. <laughs> we are in week two of the new format. So if you're following along with us, we're going to look at both extremes, the two extremes Eric likes to make fun of, and mm-hmm. then try to find what does the tension between the two look like? Because most often they have some type of truth in them, but they take it too far. So, Today, we're going to look at the tension between what we know, head knowledge, scripture, doctrine, all those things, and what we do, our actions, our behaviors, and how we treat other people. And we'll talk about each side of the tension, and then we're going to close it out with how we live between those two things and what the church has routinely left out. So, Eric, Mm -hmm. on the one side that we're going to start with is the idea that knowledge is, is king or knowledge is power. And on this side of the conversation, you have your doctrine heavy believers. Those are the ones that think that if you know the right doctrine, you will believe the right things and then act the right way. Your Theo bros are what they fall into this side of the tension really hard. But even if we go past the Theo bros, you can look at certain denominations and traditions and see how they almost overemphasize knowledge. Presbyterians are heavily doctrine based. Uh, Most Mm -hmm. of your reformed uh, denominations are you look at Awana yep. and the way Awana teaches the Bible to kids. It's very heavy knowledge based with Bible, with Bible, Bible, I went Southern there Bible with, with Bible memorization for kids and the sword drills and all those things. And I think a lot of us in evangelical spaces grew up on this side of the tension. Yeah. And I think, you know, for me, when I was looking at like, uh, I, I never had to do that Bible memorization, Awana, sword drills, any of that stuff. But when I first got into church, um, you know, especially in, in the post-college years, like mid twenties, um, I really fell in with that reformed crowd. I mean, cause that was the popular thing where the church we were in and, and doing all of that and, and, uh, you know, Calvinistic theology and stuff. And so I would consider myself like a reformed reformed. You named your kid Calvin. Well, well, yeah, I do. Yeah, my son is Calvin, but that's more from one Calvin and Hobbes and two, my, 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 my wife's, uh, the truth is coming out is Calvin. Yeah. So, but anyway, yeah, I mean, and he was born right around that time too. So, but that, that is the thing is, uh, you know, originally we had that one side is just knowledge is king. And I put in the notes, knowledge is power because coming from that side, um, in what small amount of time I was there, you know, five, 10 years, um, it really came down to if I knew, if I knew more, I was better than you. 
I had more power than you. And so, you know, it was like there was almost this smugness of uh, as soon as you would bring up something that wasn't 100% biblically accurate or that, you know, wasn't as smart as what I knew it to be, or you didn't know the Greek background to something, then it would be like, <laughs> watch this. And it was like, it was the mid 2000s version of like owning the libs. This was owning the non-reformed, owning owning the theologically deficient people. Yeah, and I have noticed there, and we talk about the deconstruction and deconversion pipeline last week, but there's a pipeline from the opposite direction of like atheistic to reformed theobro. You go from, I am 100% convinced of this intellectually to Calvinism is a very intellectual doctrine. Yeah. There's, there's a lot that goes into it to fully understand it. So you have that side of this knowledge is power pipeline as well. But even if you don't have those sinister undertones to it or the egotistical undertones to it, there are just some people who their natural way of thinking is, if I have enough knowledge, that will impact what I do. And that's the way their brain works. The, the guy I worked under at the church I was on staff at, uh, I would absolutely, if he signed up today to be a college professor teaching New Testament Bible, I would sign up to audit that class. He was that brilliant. He's the guy who had his Greek New Testament on his desk, whereas he's studying for a sermon if he was tripped up, he'd just open up his Greek New Testament and read it straight out of the Greek and translate it for himself. And he was that guy. And I learned a ton from him, but many of his sermons felt like a professor teaching me about God without direct application. And the thought process was if you know enough, then you're going to, and you understand who God is, then the application and the behavior will flow from that. I remember our, our number two teaching pastor at the time, Every time he did a sermon, he ends it with, so what? Question mark, exclamation point. It, we put it on the screen, so what? All of this information, so what? And the two of them would get into discussions where the lead pastor would say, not every sermon needs a so what. So, and he was, he was of the mindset that if we give them enough information, they'll do the right thing. And that is what a lot of people grew up with. Yeah, that, that's interesting to think like, not every sermon needs a so what. That's wow. So so then my question would be what then why why even show up? You know, if there's no application, then why even why even show up? You know, to get I mean? the knowledge. Like, and if you have the knowledge, the spirit or the the scripture will impact how you act. So I don't I don't need to tell you how yeah. to act. But if I teach you enough of what the Bible says and who God is, then by mm -hmm. nature, you're going to respond in the right way. Yeah. And I would wonder like where, you know, and, and I haven't really thought this out because it's kind of a new, new thought for me as you're talking about it. So of course, listeners feel free to email us or comment, let me know where I'm wrong, but like, uh, you know, what you should every time uh, I'm at Eric W seven one two on all social media. Just go ahead. Let me know. Uh, or hello at, whatever our email is now tensionpodcast.com um, tensionpodcast.com so i'm thinking where would we apply that to any other area of education you know like math. learning math 
for what? <laughs> like, what, what am I ever going to use? I mean, math? think about it. But think about it in, in growing up. You ask this, when am I ever going to use this in real life? Mm-hmm. That's a question right. every kid asks in school. And mm-hmm. we think about, okay, well, that was pointless because when am I ever going to use that in real life? So if, if I don't have a mm-hmm. real life application, it's not worth teaching. We think sure. about that with math or with classic U.S. literature or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. But for some reason, when it comes to the Bible, we think if we just teach people enough of what it is, yeah. then they'll know what to do. Well, and naturally, you know, the like the worst teachers you had growing up were the ones that couldn't help you apply it to real life or make, you know, you, you hear about it with pastors now or with people like make the Bible come alive. It's like make the text come alive. What does that even mean? Well, that means that it's it's actually living and breathing in the context that you're in in a usable fashion. It's not something you're pointing to that's that's dead and gone. And so, um, you know, my, my wife's an English teacher. And so she all the time we'll we'll talk about things. And when she talks about something she's bringing up with her middle school students. I mean, as someone who does copywriting and other things for the or living, I will comment back and I'll tell her, I'll be like, Hey, you can tell them you can make money doing this and this and this, like, this is how what you're doing applies to the real world. And we just have conversations about how that practical application works. And I think it's like the mentality of someone that's like, well, I'm just going to gain more and more knowledge for what? Well, for the sake of gaining knowledge. Okay at least admit that, at least admit, I'm just, I'm just getting this Bible knowledge for the sake of Bible knowledge. And to give them the benefit of the doubt on that side, I think I would get, you know, I think I could go to the side of like, okay, if I gain more and more knowledge, that is the end, but they're ascribing a much more mystical side of the text in the scripture to go like, that's, what's going to change my heart is just the amount of knowledge somehow will turn from knowledge into transformation yes there is a step yeah there's a step missing though right that's like i could get all the ingredients together for a cake but if i put it on the counter and all the ingredients are mixed together it's never going to turn into a cake and if i never practice the actual baking of the cake i'm never going to get better at following the ingredients or the instructions for the cake and i'm not saying you could read you could read the instruction you could read the the recipe and never actually put the ingredients together, you're still not going to get a cake unless you actually take those things, put them together and put them through action. And I mean, I guess if you're like, okay, my, my faith background, you know, if your thought is my faith background tells me that there's a mystical side of the Holy spirit that is going to naturally transform that without any of my action doing AKA, you know, some of the Calvinistic thoughts, right? Like it's like, okay, okay. Then I guess you have to make that leap that that's what's what's taking over. And for those of you who grew up on this side, or maybe you're still on this side, we're not saying knowledge about God's a bad thing. Right. We're not saying that you sh- we shouldn't try to get knowledge. This is we're t- going to the extreme for a reason here. Mm-hmm. But take a because look. Extremes at- are stupid. <laughs> but take a look at the driving force behind so many in our generation and the generation after us who are leaving the church. It's because there are these people who claim to know a ton about God and can quote scripture and can quote doctrine, but they don't live out those things through their actions and their behaviors. So simply knowing about God and not actually putting it into practice is one of the things that is driving people away from God himself. Yeah. And I think that that's where that like axiom comes up. I don't, I don't know what you call it axiom or saying of like, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You know, that's, that's it. You could go through a number of different ways where, 
you've probably heard, you've actually probably heard this in a marriage sermon at some point where it's like, uh, imagine if on your wedding day, you told your wife that you loved her and then never said it again for, tw- you know, whatever. And it's like, she's like, well, I don't even know if you love me. Well, I told you on my wedding day, on our <laughs> wedding day. And if anything changes, I'll let you know. And it's like, if your actions never actually carry that out, then that's not going to verify the knowledge that someone has. And so, you know, that, that knowledge is just kind of one of those, like, well, knowledge without works is dead to take that scripture a little bit. And the thing that it ends up happening, just like you said, why do so many people, one side of, of the reason why they would leave the church or walk away from organized religion is because of what, you know, thought a, a, a quote that I've gotten our notes from, from, um, you know, a talk I heard Donald Miller give. And I, I agree with this. It's like, he says, my most recent faith struggle is not one of intellect. I don't really do that anymore. Sooner or later, you just figure out there are some guys who don't believe in God and they can prove he doesn't exist. And there are some guys who do believe in God and they can prove he does exist. And the argument stopped being about God a long time ago. And it's now about who's smarter. And honestly, I don't care. Not just smarter, but who is right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, like, I'm, I'm good with debate and talking and things like that. And yes, do I care if God exists or not? I do care. But as soon as I start hearing somebody get into one of those mindsets where it's like, you're not actually listening to me and you're not willing to question your own beliefs or examine them. You are just literally waiting to give me, you're, you're in a debate and you've got a note card and you're waiting to give me proof and waiting to say something else that you want to say rather than having a mutual sense of discovery. And you think because of your immense knowledge that you have, uh, you've cornered the market and there's nothing else to say. Now they may not say that out loud, but it's like, that's, that's the idea they're getting across. And when that happens, I agree. I honestly don't care anymore. I'm like, great, cool. You're like, it's apologetics for atheists at that point. Yes, exactly. And I almost got my degree in apologetics. And at this point in time in my life, I'm so glad I didn't go that route. Um, a lot for that, for that quote that you just read, like, I don't need to have all of the answers to have my faith, but here's the thing. Go ahead. Before Well, and that's what I'll say that about apologetics too, is, um, you know, I was again in that, in my reformed days, uh, or my pre-reform reform days, uh, pre-reform reform of the reform reform days, uh, like apologetics was something that, that I was like, oh yeah, this is great. I, I would love to dig in this because I think we got to defend our faith and everything like that. But when I take a step back and look, it's like you are manipulating things because they're not true. You're using internal logic to, uh, to prove things instead of actually like having a, um, a, a realistic foundation for why even though apologetics is like well this is you know we're we're developing a foundation for why we believe what we believe and the moment that um i think it was the uh was it was it ken ham and bill nye had their famous debate and i just i was like first of all bill nye who's the science guy but he's an engineering guy he's not actually a science guy and i just remember listening to ken ham and going like this is terrible this is, I cannot believe you are saying these things. I'm embarrassed to be a Christian right now hearing it like Bill Nye, the engineering guy is wiping the floor with you. And I'm looking at, at that debate going like neither of them were the bastions of knowledge in their respective areas. But it's like, if this is the best we can do, guys, we need something different because this is that, I think that was like the first chink in the armor where I was like, maybe this isn't it, man. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm having to take a class called Creation Studies in undergrad at Liberty, along with every other person who came through undergrad there. That's a topic for a different day, though. 
Anyways, we could stay on this side of the tension for a long time, but we do want to move through and we want to talk about the other side of this tension as well. And the other side of this tension is people who emphasize behavior and actions. And I would say there's two types of people who fall in this camp and they are diametrically opposite to each other. The first side that lives on this tension is the behavior modification fundamentalists. If you believe in Jesus, if you believe in the Bible, you're going to act this way. You're not going to do this. You're not going to do that. You are this is going. the fruit, right? Yeah. Like the fruit of the spirit, like type of people that say, oh, what are you bearing fruit? What is your fruit showing? You know, it's all about, they, they care all about your fruit. And that it sometimes it gets a little weird because it's like, why are you so obsessed with my grapes? <laughs> oh, how's your banana right now? If you're how's not your looking. Eggplant? If you're not watching on YouTube right now, you did not see the face that Eric made after he made that joke. And that's what made the joke perfect. Uh, <laughs> the behavior modification side. Yeah, get off if, my grapes, man. Like, leave my grapes alone. <laughs> my grapes, my peach. We don't need to talk about that anymore, okay? You worry about your eggplant. own fruit. Yeah, my eggplant. Just give me give me, give me, me a break. My melons are just fine, okay? You just, you just take care of your own fruit there, brother. Oh, my goodness. All right, I'm going to pull this back in. Um, <laughs> But the behavior modification side, they focus less on doing the things Jesus tells us to do mm-hmm. and more on the things we're told not to do. Don't yeah. drink, don't smoke, don't chew or hang out with those who do that whole saying there. So that's one side of the behavior modification. The other side of the behavior or of the uh, behavior emphasis, yep. Methodists. Methodists. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. If you grew up Methodist, you know what we're talking about. But there there, there, there's the joke and the view that Methodists, all they care about is loving other people, and they will do that to the extreme no matter what, even if um, loving them goes against some of the th- – your, even if what you're loving goes against some of Scripture. Uh, the the yeah. saying is that Methodists, they love others with no condemnation while accepting every single thing that they do. And if you do, yeah. their belief is that if you do that, you'll love them like Jesus. And that makes you more holy. Right. That mentality is the opposite. You know, so knowledge is like, if I gain enough knowledge, that's going to impact and change the way that I act like magically. Whereas the other side is like, if I'm just open and if I just have an open mind and I'm accepting and I'm loving enough, then that's going to encourage someone else to change or encourage someone else to, um, you know, come to Jesus. I mean, my, my first church that I went to when I was in high school, college was a Methodist church. And so, it was very much like that. So I went from Methodist to reform. I mean, it was just like all the way on the other side. But then you get that that saying, too, is like, don't be so open minded that your brain falls out. And I think that that's the other extreme is like, I'm just I'm just going to be so open to anything and accept anything. And, you know, that's really dangerous because if you leave your brain at the door, then, you know, you, you run into all kinds of other problems, which we'll talk about here in a minute. Yeah. And that that's the Methodist side focuses fully on the things Jesus tells us to do without any focus on the things that we're told not to do or like act like Jesus, which is like, I agree with that. I mean, like if I were to lean one side or the other, I'd be like, yes, act like Jesus. But the problem is we know so little about the three years of ministry that Jesus was, you know, that, that was even recorded. And so it's like we, what does John write at the end of the book? He says like, this is just a a minuscule portion of all the things Jesus did. And if we wrote down everything he did over the last three years, uh, there wouldn't be enough books that 
that could hold it all. Right. Yeah. I mean, how do we know that Jesus didn't do a kickflip? Like, how do we know he didn't have a skateboard do a kickflip? <laughs> how do we know? We don't when know. You said how? You, how did you know? I did not think. You said how did you? Do we know Jesus didn't kick? I'm like, do it. Yeah, where, do where's he going? Flip. How do we? Know where's that? he like? Yeah. What's he kick? Who's he kicking out? What's he doing? How, no, he's doing. How a do we know he didn't he's, drop? He's kick playing something. Tony Hawk yeah. horse skater. Yeah. Yeah. How do we know that the disciples didn't all get together and they just had like you know a little bit of a rap battle and they were just kind of spit some bars back and forth. And, you know, John is in the corner like, oh, like, how do we know that? We don't know because it wasn't written down. It wasn't something that was a point of emphasis. It could have been like something that was just so ubiquitous in the day. that They're just like, yeah, everybody knows that Jesus and his disciples were, in, you know, engaged in rap battles in their free time. We just didn't write it down because we just assumed everybody knew it in the same way as we're like, we never said, hey, Jesus breathed like he inhaled and then he exhaled and his heartbeat because we just like understand that that's natural. It happened. We don't know. We don't know that that didn't happen. So when you're like on the side of, oh, we need to emphasize what, what Jesus did. It's like, I don't see you kick flipping. I don't see you out there. Can you do an Ollie? Huh? If Tony Hawk was driving by and he said, Hey, do a kick flip. Would you be able to, or would you fall flat on your face, break your ankle? I probably would. So does that mean that I'm not like following Jesus for some reason? Like, I don't know. I don't know. Do you realize how niche that joke is and how many people won't understand? <laughs> I just love the YouTube videos of Tony Hawk driving around, go do a kickflip. And like a kid does a kickflip and he pulls out like a brand new board and gives it to him. Like, uh, amazing. All right. So to pull us back because we're 20 minutes into this and uh, we're trying to do better about time this season. Nope. Not on me. One, <laughs> on one side, you've got knowledge is everything. On the other yeah. side, you have actions are everything. So what's the tension we have to live in? What does that look like for real life? as we walk through this as adults. And I would say the first thing is acknowledging that we can't have knowledge without application. Application is the doing, the behavior. If I know everything, but I don't show love, that I'm just a clinging something. Exactly. Yep. Can't have behavior without knowledge. It's like knowledge. Knowledge without application is definitely pointless. And, you know, it's like, what again, you got to ask yourself the question, like, why? Why do I feel the need to gain all of this knowledge? What is it for? And I think if a lot of people are being honest, it's like you dig down to it. Like, I just feel better about myself if I have more knowledge. And that's either from a prideful situation or to fight their own personal anxieties. Because I think that if I were to talk to some of the people that I ran with where, where we were in this side of like just gaining more knowledge, more knowledge, more knowledge, there would be like a, there's a piece of insecurity that says there was a part of me growing up that didn't have the answer for something or didn't have a snappy comeback or when I was bullied or when I was picked on or whatever, like, I don't like the feeling of not being able to have a response for something. And so I never want to feel that again. So what do you do? You just pack in the systematic theology and the Greek and that, you know, learning all of these things and you're going all these pilgrimages to Jerusalem and learning about all these Israel cities and dams and things like that. And it's like, Okay, awesome. But the application of that is protecting your insecurity or projecting your own sense of self-superiority. And I don't think either of those is the right way to go. And then behavior without knowledge is also masking things as well. Yeah, it's like, well, hey, exactly. I, I, don't, I don't know enough, but I do know I need to act like this. So instead, yeah, of, it, lear instead of learning the doctrine behind why some of the things that we do, I'm just going to go yeah. out and love people like Jesus. Yeah. Or, or I don't have an answer for, I mean, because that's, that's where I've fallen. I mean, that's really where I've fallen out of the knowledge is power side. And I realized like coming back is important too, is because like you have those first questions to go like, 
Um, the Bible says this about this particular group of people. Well, now I've met or I love or I care about someone who is that group of people. How do I rectify this? You know, I'm hearing people with the knowledge is power side saying that they are evil or this or that or the other. And you're like, how do I, I don't have an answer for it. So my default is for these hard questions that are essentially unanswerable. Um, my default is to love instead of like sitting in that tension and acknowledging on both sides. If you're a knowledge is power person is realize there are some things you can't know. There are some things that you won't ever know. And we won't know this side of heaven. We use, you know, typical cliche pastor speak. Um, and then same thing with the others. Like, I won't know this, but my, I can go back to some of the things that I do know, or I, I don't have to throw out knowledge altogether. And I think as we, as we talk about living in the tension, there's a piece of this that's missing that the American church has done a terrible job teaching and leading through. And as you talked, and as I talked just now, we both said that leaning too heavily on one side of this tension masks the feeling of certain things. And in the American church, we do not acknowledge our emotions at all. There's this piece that we don't talk about how to balance these extremes with our emotions. And I think one of the things we have to acknowledge and we have to remember is we are humans. We are not robots. Robots are programmed to know information and then respond to that information in a specific manner. That's what they do. But as humans, we have emotions. We feel things. And whether you like to admit it or not, your feelings are actually the motivation for many of the things that you do. Completely neglecting those feelings overlooks a giant piece of how God created us. And what we have to remember is that God created us in his image, which means he has feelings and emotions too. Our feelings and emotions are not something to be suppressed or to be ignored. They are a core piece of what makes us human. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and that's the, the tough part is I think one side of this argument would say, well, no, I'm not, I'm not controlled by my feelings, but it's like, you've made a feeling judgment based on what you want, what you, what you value the most being knowledge. And Eric, you and I are marketers. Ding, 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 ding. We, we have to get that in ding. So we know from a secular standpoint that people don't make decisions based on what they know to be true. Most people make decisions based on how they feel. Even if you say feelings don't matter, only thing that matters is the truth, you still are, most people make decisions based on how they feel. It's why yeah. people have affairs even when they know they're wrong. Yeah. It's why drug use is rampant even though everyone knows it's illegal. It's why I chose to take a nap one day this week instead of going to the gym when I knew working out would give me the energy mm -hmm. I was looking for, but I just felt like taking a nap instead. Yeah. And people, I mean, that's what we talk about. Like people don't make the best decisions. They don't choose the best products. And I, uh, they choose them based on how those products make them feel. So, uh, I bring it back with my clients all the time where I'll talk about like, I'm an Apple guy. I know, I know that all the Android, whatever windows phone, you know, people out there are going to go, Oh, it's an inferior product to what I have. I get that. And the iPhone's so not the best phone I, on the market. Yeah, it's not. But I know that when, uh, when my kids press FaceTime and they want to FaceTime grandpa, he's going to be able to answer. They're going to be able to talk. I, I just feel I, 
all of my stuff connects. And so there's a feeling based on it because it's not the knowledge base decision. There is a feeling of value judgment that you make in the same way as all the examples that you just listed. So even if you are someone that values high knowledge, it's because you made a value judgment that if I know more things, that's going to be better overall than if I treat people better or, you know, whatever else or treating people better in the short term, I feel is not as important as knowing and helping them in the long term, you know, and it's like, that's a value judgment. That's not necessarily true um, on either side. You've, you've made that decision. Emotions are the hinge point between what we know and what we do. That it's kind of that, that hinge between the two. And we have to root our emotions in the knowledge of what is true. Eric, we talked about this at the end of last season. Um, the way I phrased it was that our emotions are always real, but they're not always true. The way you defined it was they're always real, but not always reliable for decision-making. And I think we have to realize that we can know things and we can want to act a certain way, but our emotions are what is going to control if we act that certain way or not. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's, uh, there's a terminology in the therapy world and the, you know, uh, psychology world, which a lot of you, if you're in therapy, you might actually be going through this right now, but cognitive behavioral therapy is a method of therapy to help change the way that we react to things. And so this is the basis of it. Again, I'm not a therapist, you know, go, go to therapy, go to a professional is there's an event. There's something that happens. There's like an objective thing. There's a knowledge base that leads to our brain making an automatic thought. We just, we have a snap judgment, automatic thought that's not based on our rational thinking. It's based on our emotion center. And that's, what's going to drive our actions. And so if you go through this type of therapy, the key to this type of therapy is to stop at that automatic thought and allow yourself time to retrain your brain to bring emotion and rationality uh, into like an informed relationship together. So that way, when the thing happens, instead of just pulling out an automatic thought and reaction, you're able to stop and go, okay, I'm going to rewire my brain to not make a base assumption here. I'm going to rewire my brain to not have a snap emotional judgment. And it helps on both sides because it's like with the knowledge side, you've just, you've just pre-programmed. That's, you know, like it, I've got to memorize scripture because there's a scripture answer to every one of life's problems. It's like, okay, probably, but not all of them apply equally. So as soon as someone says, you know, X and all of a sudden you pull out Y scripture, it's like, pause, allow yourself to go, okay, what do I really need to evaluate in this spot? What's my action? What's my reaction? What's my emotion going to be on the same side and the opposite side where it's like something happens and you just want to blow up with an emotion pause and allow that rational side to inform you as well. And so, there is this sense that you need both of that rational and emotional side to come into harmony together to inform each other um, in order to have the right behavior. Because as we got in the notes here, it's like our behavior flows out of our emotional reaction, our automatic thoughts that we have. Because if we were if we were to sit there and scrutinize, you know, our brain makes all these decisions for us without even thinking about it. Because otherwise, we would be stuck on every little nuance of every piece of um, you know information that we were taking in. And so allowing ourselves time to evaluate that automatic thought uh, and bring those two together is what's key. Yeah. If we allow our emotions to be out there on their own, unweighted, just I'm responding out of how I feel all the time. We're going to behave in ways that aren't always wise 
and definitely aren't always motivated by love. They'll, they'll be motivated by selfishness. They'll be motivated by anxiety. They'll be motivated by all these things that are not actual fruit of the spirit. And we have to figure out how to balance what we know with what we are doing and with our emotions in the middle of that. And to, to tie all this together with our faith, with how we walk with Jesus on an everyday basis, I think we have to get back to how we read the Bible. So many of us read the Bible for knowledge, uh, especially the Theo bros. They want to come up with like, here's the knowledge. Here's what it says. Your other side says, Hey, here's what you're supposed to do. So go do it. But one of the things I so appreciate about the church that I'm going to now is a lot of this emotion stuff I have taken from them because of the way that we're trying to do what they're calling holistic discipleship, meaning not just knowledge, not just action, but the whole person of who you are. And that includes your emotions. So one of the things they've done is they've developed this Bible reading tool of how to read the Bible. And I'm going to throw it out there. I think that this has worked for me. So I think it'll work for you, the listener as well, in order to get this balance a little bit better. Uh, so this week, right, just try it out and see how it works for you. And the first step to this is such a small, tiny piece, but I'd never considered it. When you sit down to read the Bible, whatever you're reading, the passage that you're reading, you're on a reading plan or whatever, ask yourself this question. How am I feeling right now? You might be feeling great and you might be having happy thoughts. Awesome. Write that down. You might be stressed and full of anxiety. I'm sorry, but write that down. Maybe it's something in between those two feelings, but whatever it is, just take 60 seconds to acknowledge how you're feeling in the moment. Then, as you read the Bible, as you read the passage, ask yourself three questions. What does this passage say about who God is and what his character is? This is the knowledge portion of it. This is where oftentimes the Theobro side stops. But this is still an important piece of our faith. The second question is, how is the Holy Spirit making this passage personal to me? Now, remember, you are not David. So this is not how is the how is the Holy Spirit making this passage about me, but we acknowledge who God is first, and then we see how that truth applies to where we are in life and what we're experiencing. And then finally, it's how do I apply this truth to what I'm experiencing in my life? This is the action and the behavior step. But what this does, these three, like by acknowledging where you're feeling, you acknowledge where you're starting. And then these three questions hit all three pieces of our humanity. It hits our knowledge, it hits our emotions, and it hits our behavior so that we can be applying scripture to our entire life and not just living in one side of these extremes. Right. Yeah, I think that that is excellent to pause because just like you have context built into the way that the Bible is written, we, we often like that's often the pushback. It's like, what was the context? Who was it written for? Where was it written? You know? Uh, Paul was in jail when he wrote this, or John was, you know, exiled when he wrote this, and they're talking about context in that time. But I think this brings to light the context that in which you're reading it, because you can read scripture, and even though it it feels like it's like uh, objective, unflappable knowledge, 
Well, that knowledge of that scripture can mean one thing when you are in the midst of uh, a, a great season, and it can mean something totally different after tragedy. And so I think understanding your own mood, your own situation, your own season, man, is so important in that. And here, here's how I know that you know that's true, is um, if you've ever had uh, someone, you know, like when you're, when you're in a, when you're in a bad, like something tragic happens, you have a death in the family, you know, you lost your job, something tragic, and you talk to some well-meaning Christian and their response is some scripture about, you know, in all, you know, pray, uh, uh, what, what, I'm just trying to think of one that's, that's typical that somebody usually spits out. I'm so enraged when I think about it anyway. God will never give you you more than you can handle. Oh yeah. I got, well, every time God closes a door, he opens up a window, you know what I mean? Like whatever it happens to be, or they'll actually throw a scripture at you, you know, knowledge-based scripture. It's like, yeah, great. Okay, cool. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for that knowledge portion, but that's not it. The, the application of that should inform you to know that that's not what's appropriate right now. And I, I love, uh, uh, I don't know if I mentioned on the podcast before, but uh, one, one book that I read recently at the end of last year, early this year, was the Anthrop- Anthropocene Reviewed by John Green. And in it, he talks about he used to be a, a chaplain in a hospital um, in, a, in a children's ward, you know, and so he would see just tragedy happening all of the time um, in, in these families. And he said he had a chaplain advisor that said to him one time, he said, you know what, don't just say something. Uh, or, you know, don't just, don't just say something, stand there. Or, you know, it was like a, it was a reversal of the, don't just stand there, do something. So it, he reversed and said, don't just do something, stand there. And it's like, man, as much as I know things that I could respond and say in certain situations, there is a sense on the other side that tells me uh, just being present with people in those situations might actually matter a little bit more. And now I don't need to open up my mouth and start spitting out knowledge. On the other hand, if you've ever talked to somebody that all they do is affirm you and you really literally want to solve a problem, you know, where it's like, it's like, Hey, Jonathan, I'm, I'm struggling with this thing and I, I really need to figure it out. Do you have any suggestions? And you go, oh, yeah, man, that's gotta be tough. Oh, I can't imagine how you'd be feeling right now. Oh man. I just want to sit some, sit and create some space here for you. And Eric, I, I just want you to know that I see you right now and I hear you. And I'm like, no, literally, bro, I've got a problem with this thing and I need you to tell give me an answer for it it's like so there is a spot where you need to be able to use both and i think the true knowledge is knowing when the application uh matters we can't just go knowledge based we can't just go feeling based we have to acknowledge that what makes us human and what make that what sets us apart from the animals the angels and everything else is the emotions that we feel and how that impacts so much of what we do. So this week, I just encourage you, as you read your Bible, hopefully you do that. If you haven't done that on a regular basis, hopefully you do it this week. But first off, ask yourself how you're feeling before you go into it, and then ask three questions as you read it. What does this passage say about who God is and what his character is? How is the Holy Spirit making this passage personal to me? And how do I apply this truth to what I'm experiencing in my life? But that's it for today. Next week, Eric, we're going to do probably our most political episode of the season. So how excited does that make you? I am so excited. I'm endlessly, I am like John 21 excited. You know, like you have like a, there's like an Acts 2 church and a uh, Proverbs 31 woman. I'm like 
I want, I want to just like normalize being John 21 excited. Can we make that happen? I can. Yeah. Can we like put a shirt out that says like, <laughs> I'm, I'm John 21 excited. Or I have like John, like John 21 should be the now is, can we is put the, a picture of Jesse Spano on it? <laughs> yeah, probably. John 21 is like the new bar for like a lot of things, <laughs> countless things. But in all seriousness, next week is the three-year anniversary of the murder of George Floyd. So Which is not gonna... why I'm excited. I just want you to know, like, just <laughs> the fact that you transition to that makes it seem terrible. That is not why I'm excited. But what you're excited about is we're going to look at the tension between supporting our first responders and uh, advocating for justice and all the things that came out of that murder. So if you've never thought about a theology of policing or how to balance social justice with biblical principles while mm. also not going all the way to the all cops are bad side next week is going to be for you. That's what we're going to be talking about. Even if that seems a little weird to you, trust me. Yep. I read what we're basing next week on is the out of the book reading while black by Esau Macaulay. And when I read this chapter about the theology of policing, it completely like I didn't know I was interested in this and I absolutely loved it. So please come back for that. In the meantime, if you have any feedback or you want to connect with us, Eric is at Eric W712 on all the major platforms, and I'm at Jonathan underscore Corona on them as well. You can also email your ideas to us at hello at tensionpodcast.com. If you like the show, do us a favor and rate us and review us wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast app if you haven't already. Share this episode with a friend if you found it interesting. And as always, thanks for making us a part of your day, and we'll talk to you again next week.